Thanks for joining us today on the LaunchPoint Church Podcast. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error and useful for every part of our daily lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. For more information about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube, as well as visit our website at www.launchpoint.church. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the message. Well, all right. So I'm actually—I don't feel led to do anything else today. So we're actually going to teach the lesson I've, I've had in my hand for two weeks. Uh, if you missed last week, we ended up having a just a just what I think is a wonderful time of prayer and challenge and worship. And so, but today we're back in Colossians chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, we're going to start today in 13 and work through 17. But because it has been two weeks, really three weeks since we spoke in regard to this subject, I want to talk to you a little bit about what we talked about last time. We talked about the necessity of internal holiness um, according to Colossians 12. Paul says this, 3 verse 12, I'm sorry. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy, holy and beloved, that's us, yeah. put on a heart. We talked about the importance of the fact that there are things God expects us to take off when we give our life to the Lord, and there's things that God expects us to put on. And these aren't optional for us. Right. We, are, we are saved by grace, and it's by grace and the empowerment of this Holy Spirit that we're capable of doing it, but we're still called to do it. Amen? Amen. And so he tells us, you got to take off some stuff. you got to take off the who you were, the person, the, the issues that you had. In verse 8, he said, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Do not lie to one another. Verse 5, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, that is sins, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of obedience. That's that's his expectation of us, that we deserved wrath. He didn't give us wrath, instead gave us Jesus. And because he gave us grace instead of the wrath that we deserve, he said, now stop being who you were. That's fair, right? The day that I commit my life to my wife, I say, this is, this is my wife. This is who I'm going to be faithful to. This is who I'm going to walk alongside of all the days of my life. I have to become obedient to her desires. Because she was gracious, and believe me, it's a huge grace. She was gracious enough to extend love to me. And so she deserves that I be obedient to the desires that she has for me. Which means I have to set aside all the stuff that I used to be. I can't be the old Jim. I had a conversation with a guy this afternoon um, who knew me when I was on the SWAT team. And pre-2006 came up. So... Uh, and I just, I'm not that person anymore because I made a commitment yep. to Christ. And so because I made a commitment to Christ, empowered by the Spirit to stand by that commitment, I, take, I took off some stuff. Yeah. 
Now, I'm still in the process of taking off some stuff. I don't want you to walk in condemnation. <coughs> Understand that you're still probably taking off some stuff, and you're going to take off some stuff, and you'll be perfect when you're in the presence of the perfect according to the Scripture. So don't let the fact that you're still a work in progress be a condemnation to you. Let it be an encouragement to you. Yeah. The encouragement is that the Holy Spirit hasn't forsaken you, is still with you, and that's why you feel convicted to continue to take off some stuff. And so people ask me, they'll, they'll ask me a question from time to time. How can I know I'm saved? The answer to that question is found in the question that you asked. How can I know I'm saved is a concern for your salvation. And I promise you that that question in you wasn't provoked by the enemy. That was provoked by the Holy Spirit to make sure that you're walking according to the way that you should walk. And so when somebody says, how do I know I'm saved? I know you're saved because the Spirit prompted you to ask that question and filter your life through the Word of God in the first place. So taking off stuff and the continuation of taking off stuff isn't a condemnation. It should be an encouragement to us to continue in the faith. Amen? And then in verse 12, like I said, started to say a second ago, he says, since we are told to no longer be that person, no longer do those things, he says this, so as those who have been chosen of God, us, holy because we've been set aside, beloved because God loves us enough to send Jesus, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patient, and patience. Those are internal processes. That's why it starts with put on a heart of. We talked, when we talked the, about those verses, we see that beautifully, the necessity of ensuring that we walk according to the heart of these things so that our inside be as clean as our outside looks. Je Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew when he says, when he tells them to clean the outside of the cup or to wash, whitewash the tomb but leave the dead men's bones is wrong. You should clean the inside of the cup first and then worry about what the outside looks like. You should make sure that the dead men's bones in you have been removed before you worry about whitewashing the tomb. So we have to deal with what's in us, the heart of what's in us, the internal holiness, so that we might be able to walk in what's on the outside that is external holiness. Amen? Everybody, everybody with me? Okay. So that's the challenge, though. Because until we can learn to first clean the inside of the cup, first remove the bones from the tomb before we whitewash, we can't be what we've been called to be. So, what's, so the question is, what have we been called to be? Let me, let me read you this. Matthew 15, 14 through 15 says this. I'm sorry, Matthew 5, 14 through 15. You are the light of the world. You want to know what you're called to be? You're called to be the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Which house, though? 
the house that's dark or was previously dark. Listen to me. Christians are the worst about taking this light and hiding it under a basket. This is what I mean. In order for us to be the light, we have to confront darkness. We have to press into darkness. But this is what we say. Well, I'm not going to Starbucks anymore because they support anti-Christian values. That's a dark house. Why would you remove the light from it? Do you think your removal of the light from that place will somehow make it brighter? No, it's just going to make it darker. People say, well, I don't go to Starbucks or I don't go to Target or I'm boycotting this, that, or the other thing. What about the presence of the light makes the room better? Amen? Does everybody feel what I'm saying, y'all? Well, I'm still not supporting those places. Well, all right. Well, I want you to take off your Levi jeans. I want you to take off your Nikes. I want you to throw your iPhone in the trash. I want you to throw your whatever phone you have in the trash because I guarantee if you research them, they're supporting in some form or fashion anti-Christian value. Your job is to be a light, period. But you can't be a light if you're not in the dark space, you can't be a light if the inside of you is still dark, but because of the inside of us is light, we should practice external holiness so that we can confront that darkness. Amen? Everybody tracking with me? Am I, am I, am I, I feel like I'm walking around in circles, but I'm really trying to make, a, I think, a valid point. Let's be the light we've been called to be, but we can't be the light we're called to be until we get the inside clean so that it starts reflecting on the outside for people to actually see. Because here's the truth. Your action will always trump your intent. You can say, man, I'm a Christian. But if the inside of you isn't squared away, the outside of you will never show that. But if the inside of you is squared away, then we're called to something else. And that is to take that and display it externally. And that's what Paul begins to talk about in verse 13. I'm going to read 13 through 17. It says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. These are external factors. Listen, I'm going to go through them and explain them. And forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Before all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in, the, in your hearts to God. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. So let me break down just a couple of things here that external holiness walks in. First, external holiness walks in forgiveness. Oh man, could you start with something, something a little less heavy? No, because Paul didn't start with something a little less heavy. He said, first, bear with one another. 
Man, if I could scream anything at, at the church, bear with one another. It's Pastor Daniel, wherever he went off to. I don't have my glasses on. Okay. Pastor Daniel said in his, I guess his offertory, or maybe in his prayer after his offertory, he said, God, we thank you. I guess it was the prayer. He said, thank you for community. Thank you for unity. Let me tell you, Community happens through forgiveness, through bearing with one another. You can't have community with unity without unity, and you can't have unity as long as you're carrying an offense around. We got to bear with one another. We have to be willing to sit down the offense, endure, and hold ourselves erect against the offense of another. That's what it means to bear with one another. Stand up and say, He treated me wrong. But that's okay. I'm not going to treat him wrong. I'm not going to eye for an eye this guy. I'm going to love him in spite of him and forgive him and truly let it go. This is what Paul's telling us. First thing you need to do is let some stuff go. So many of us, listen, this is a word for, for the church today. Not just Launch Point Church, the church, but also Launch Point Church. Some of us have been carrying unforgiveness around so long, we don't even realize how heavy it is. You don't realize until you lose 50 pounds how much that 50 pounds actually weighs to carry around. When I was in the military, we'd hump a rucksack. And that rucksack would be about 70 pounds, and we'd have a base plate for a mortar which was metal that was about this big around on top of that, plus your gun and your ammo and all that stuff. And let me tell you, you got to a place where it never stopped hurting, but you stopped paying attention to it until you took it off. When you took it off, man, you felt like you, it just, it was such a relief. You just literally, you unburdened yourself. We've been called to act that way in regard to forgiving other people. Yeah. Is to just carry, take this weight that we're carrying unnecessarily, potentially even for so long that we don't even realize we're still carrying it. Evaluate ourselves. Ask God, is there unforgiveness in me? I'd say most of us can probably identify where our unforgiveness is, which is even worse, I think, because if you can identify it, it shouldn't exist. But so we identify that we can, maybe we can't identify this sin. We ask God, he'll show it to you. Bible says he'll tell you if we ask anything in prayer, he hears us. And because he hears us, we have what we've asked for. Anything according to his will, he hears us. You know what's in God's will? That we walk in forgiveness. And if we ask that God give us the ability to see where we have been offensive, that's his will then we know he hears us and we know we have what we've asked for. Everybody all right? Yep. I'm challenging you all today. Paul's challenging you today. Let some stuff go. You don't know the hurt that I suffered. I don't know the hurt that you suffered. But God does. And he tells us, that he expects us to forgive anyway. In fact, there's benefits and cursings for not forgiving. According to Matthew 6.14, there's a benefit to forgiveness for if you forgive others for their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Forgiveness doesn't save you. Forgiveness proves that you're saved. 
but there is also a real consequence for not forgiving. In Matthew 6, 15, which is the next verse over, it says, but if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. Matt, what? What you talking about, Willis? That's tough, right? That's right. It's in there. Whether we like it or not. I haven't said this to y'all in a long time, but let me say it. You can't cafeteria style your Bible. You can't say, I want some of this. I don't want some of that. I want some of this. I want some of that. I don't like that. If it's in there, it's a word for you. Amen? So we have to forgive. God tells us to forgive, even if we are the Ask forgiveness if we're the offender. Matthew 5, 23 through 24 says, If you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Because God wants you to walk in unity with one another, walk in love more than he wants your offering. but also to forgive if you've been offended. Matthew 18, 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Peter had just told him, he said, God, what, what do you want us to do? Forgive seven times? Which was more than the law required. So Peter's all feeling himself. Well, I'm going to forgive him seven times. And Jesus says, now, how about 70 times seven? If you do the math on that, that's 490 times. I can imagine what Peter was thinking. He was thinking what I was thinking the first time I read it. Is, man, I can't keep up with that. Well, you imagine you'd have to carry a notebook around. Well, that's 237. You only get 700 or 109. What was the math? Four, you only get 490. I'm at 405. You're at 406. You're at 407. And Jesus says, no, you can't keep track of it. And that's the point. You're not supposed to keep track of it. You're just supposed to forgive. They hurt me. Forgive them. They hurt me again. Forgive them. They hurt me. Forget them. And forgive them. And forgive them. And forgive them. I'm not telling you you got to let them in your circle. but you still have to forgive them. Forgiveness does not mean inclusion. That's why so many people get in trouble. They think, oh, I forgive them. And then you let them back into your space and they end up hurting you again. Yeah. You got to walk in wisdom too. But still forgive them and then create distance so they can't offend you again. <laughs> Everybody all right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. A couple of y'all, I, I, didn't, I didn't put my glasses on on purpose because I didn't want y'all as I'm walking through this stuff to go, <laughs> I didn't want to see your eyes drop because I know when I read this, my eyes drop. But so we've been commanded to forgive. Hmm. External holiness walks in love. Verse 14 where it says this, Beloved, all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 
Paul's essentially saying when he says beyond all things, he's saying, listen, the most important thing is that we love. When we forgive, we prove that we love. What is that? When we forgive, we prove that we love. You know, I don't love them. First, you should love them. You don't have to be in your circle, but you should love them. But you prove your love for God. You prove your motive. You prove your intent. That's the whole point of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Let me, let me read that to you real quick. Many of you are familiar with this. I read this to, and explain it to everybody that I've ever married. I mean, not I've married, that I've officiated their wedding. It says, right, I mean, you just got to be careful. You know how people be sound biting you and whatnot. <laughs> Verse 1, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's Paul saying, whatever I say, if I don't say it because I love them, I'm an annoyance to them. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So in the first verse, he says, whatever I say, without love, it doesn't mean anything. Here it says, whatever I know, if I don't know it and use it for the purposes of love, then it doesn't mean anything. It says, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So in verse 1, whatever I say, verse 2, whatever I know, and verse 3 is whatever I give or do. If I don't do it because I love, then it doesn't matter. It's, a, it's frustrating to the people around me. So above all else, love. That's fair, right? I think that's, I think fair. He says, Peter mirrors this in 1 Peter 4.8. He says, above all, which means most importantly, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. I'm going to break this down just a, just a little bit. To be fervent about something is to be fanatical about it. We don't need a passive love for each other. We need a fanatical love for one another. We need a love that's willing to go beyond what's expected of us. A love that goes the second mile. A love that meets the need. A love that encourages. A love that walks alongside of. We need love that covers a multitude of sin. What does that mean, Pastor Jim? I, me loving them can't forgive their sin. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when Bill offends me, my love for Bill covers that sin. Because it says, you know what? I love you anyway. I forgive you. I'm not going to walk in that. I'm not going to allow you to walk under the pressure of that. We're going to have conversation. We're going to, we're going to walk together in love and figure this thing out. Yeah. 
That's how love covers a multitude of sin. Amen? Amen. We need to allow our love to be fanatical to the degree that it covers when other people offend us. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's good theory, man. But that's hard practical walking around in the world. That means you got to keep your eyes open. You got to keep your ears open. When you see somebody with a need, you have the resource and the time to meet that need. You should meet that need. It's interesting to me, man, that we say, I'll pray for you when we have the ability to be the answer to that prayer. Maybe the reason y'all are having this conversation is because God wanted you to be aware that there was a need that you're able to meet. It's like, man, I'll pray for you. It becomes this impotent, meaningless thing that that we just set aside so that we don't have to be inconvenienced with your reality. That's not love. Love stands alongside. Amen? So let us be fervent about love because Jesus told us to. I I talked a little bit about this Sunday. Jesus Jesus in Matthew 22, 39 essentially reiterates the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. In John 13, 34, he ups that command and says, a new commandment I give to you, not just love your neighbor as yourself. He says that you love one another even as I have loved you. Oh, man. What? Can I just love the people I like? I got to love the people I don't like too? Yes. What good is it to love people you like? That's easy. The real challenge is how does Jesus love us? Unconditionally and sacrificially. What are we willing to sacrifice for the love that we have for the people around us or the people that God draws our attention to. Here's the deal. Instead of walking in love, we decide to amputate or alienate those who create discomfort for us or are inconvenient to us. Come on, y'all know it's true. We're all... Man, I love that guy. And then he shows up. Then he shows up again. Then he shows up again. Then he shows up again. At some point, there's a healthy place where you have to say, man, I've resourced you all I can. But if they don't want anything but your time, your ear, your prayers, your love, and you amputate them or alienate them, say, man, I've I've dealt with you as much as I want to. We got a love problem. Because I don't know about y'all, but I go to the throne room of grace expecting to receive over and over and over and over again. And you know what God's never failed to give me? Love, grace, mercy. Amen. Why? Because of my great high priest, Christ Jesus.
We got to get our love right. Walking in love destroys animosity and brings peace. Which is the next verse in verse 15. External holiness walks in peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body to be thankful. Do you know there are prescriptions to obtain peace in the scripture? You guys know I'm a very linear thinker. If you don't, you should by now or you will. But Philippians chapter 4, go ahead and turn there. Here's the prescription. There's two of them. Starting in verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's the prescription. Prayer plus supplication plus an attitude of thanksgiving equals the peace of God. Prayer, which is talking to God while offering supplication, which is make about when and making requests of God with an expectation by faith that He's going to answer. So you're praying that, not just praying it, but praying it with a thankful heart because you have faith to believe he answers that prayer will bring a peace of God that you can't even comprehend. I can't find peace. Start in prayer. Ask God what you need and do it with a heart of expectation that brings faith, that brings thankfulness and there will be the peace of God. Pay attention to this verbiage. Peace of God. In Philippians 4, 8 through 9, it reads, I'm sorry, yeah, 4, 8 through 9 reads like this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So here's the, Second, prescription for peace. Meditate on God's faithfulness and practice holiness. That whatever verse, whatever is holy, whatever is pure, that's meditation on all the great things that God has done. What you've seen in me, what you've heard me say, that's Paul saying, and be holy. And the God of peace will be with you. Notice, one brings the peace of God one brings the God of peace. What's the difference? The peace of God is a state of tranquility. It's the, through prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, I have this. And the remembrance of the testimony that God has given me, I am made confident in the God who offers that tranquility, which should cause my tranquility to remain and not my anxiety. Everybody understand? And when I think of the goodness of God, I, I grow a confidence in God that allows me not to slip back into 
the anxiety of verse 6 and 7. But we fall short. So I go back to 6 and 7, and I search after God through prayer, meditation, and thanksgiving, knowing that that peace will return to me. Amen? God's a big deal. He has the ability to bring peace into your situation because he brings himself into your situation. Amen? That's good. That's good stuff right there. But he's talking about peace. But specifically, listen to this. So those are the how we get peace. But he's talking here about the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. He's talking about peace, but he's talking about peace amongst one another too. Stop beating each other up, side-eyeballing each other, acting all crazy and weird, talking trash in one space and talking up somebody in another space. Instead, let us adhere to the Word. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I exhort you, which is to say I strongly urge and encourage you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, all, how many, who, who should agree? And that there be no divisions among you. How many divisions? But that you may be complete in the same mind. What kind of mind? Same and in the same judgment. What kind of judgment? Which is to say the same viewpoint, the same purpose, the same intent. So we have to be unified. Paul's talking about it. The same unity, the peace that comes from unity. Can I say, I've heard people in this church, I, I always want to blame stuff on the big C church, but I've heard people in this church say, oh, I saw so-and-so coming, and I turned around and walked away. And it might have been them joking, or they're talking about they're talking your ear off, or they frustrated me, but I guarantee you, either in this church or another church, you've heard something along those lines. Oh, I saw him come. I turned around and walked the other way. I didn't have 30 minutes to talk to them. Well, well, you know, you might have two minutes just to say, hey, I'm busy right now, but I love you and hug her neck. But we decided to avoid them instead. That's a division. Let there be no division in you. Be of the same mind, the same intent, the same purpose, the same view, because we all have the same spirit. Because of the same Jesus. Amen? Hmm. So I'm going to ask you a question. And it's a hard question. Is there anyone in the church with whom you have division? And I don't want that answer right now. I want you to take that question home with you. And when you come back, you resolve it. I don't care how you resolve it. I don't care if you need mediation. I don't care if you guys can just talk like brothers. I hope you try that first since that's the biblical model. But until we get this right, 
we can't get that right. If the inside of my cup is dirty, doesn't matter what the outside of my cup looks like. Finally, external holiness walks in the word. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell richly. You want to know how, you know how to walk in external holiness? Allow the word to dwell richly in you. That, that literally means to allow it to, buy, to abide in you so much that it flows out of you. So that starts from the inside and flows to the outside. People should look at you and say, you're different than you used to be. You talk different than you used to be. You, you act different than you used to act. They should say those things because that which is in you has fl- overflowed, has dwelt within you so strongly that it has overflowed to everything around you. And so we have to pay attention to the Word. I, I know I beat this subject up. But let me tell you, I can't tell you anything that the Word doesn't say. People say, man, how did you know that? It's in the Word. Why did you do that? That's what the Word tells me to do. Why didn't you do that? That's what the Word tells me not to do. How did you know? Well, it's because of the Word. I had a conversation with a guy. His name was Brian Jones. This dude to me was a super Christian. There's such a thing. There's, there's not. But back in my day when I first got saved, I thought there was. There's just Christians that pay attention and Christians that don't. And then people that call themselves Christians that aren't. But anyway, this so this guy I thought was a super Christian. And man, every time he talked, brother, his, he, would, he was so profound. And he would quote a Bible text and quote a Bible text. If he didn't actually quote the Bible text itself, he would summarize Ephesians 4 says, blah, blah, blah. Or what is just, just boom, 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 boom. And I asked him, I said, man, can I take you to lunch? Because I wanted to know how, how do I do that? You know, that sounds foolish. Like, I feel like the guy in Acts who says, I'll give you money for that, you know? <laughs> um, so I asked him, I said, how do I do that? I bought his lunch just to ask him this question. And he said, just read your word, man. Read it, and read it, and read it. As he said, it, it might be a year from now, it might be five years from now, it might be ten years from now. But if you read it enough, that which is in you will come out of you. Amen? We don't, we don't show our external holiness when we don't walk according to the Word because we don't know what external holiness should look like. I said, and finally, a moment ago, but finally, 
Paul ends on this, external holiness walks in thanksgiving. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Everything you do, give thanks. People say, people will tell me, except for Miss Renee, she says I'm average. But... (laughs) People, people tell me, man, that was a great sermon. It's the best sermon I've ever heard, blah, blah, blah. Can I, can I tell you, the right answer to that is I'm humbled by that, but I thank God for it. Because without God, I couldn't do it. Without God, you couldn't receive it. So our job is to be thankful in all things. We think we did something. We do nothing, right? So I, I would just, I would just mirror First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whatever then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do the action, the external holiness. Forgive, walk in love, walk in unity and peace, rest in the Word. Do all to the glory of God. Amen. So that others through your work, your light, may see him and acknowledge God. May see you and acknowledge God. Amen? That's the goal, right? Is to ultimately allow whatever is inside of me to come out of me so that people see my good works and acknowledge God. Boy, that's, that's the hope. Be the light, but you can't be the light the inside of your cup is dirty.